0: Hi, my name is Amber Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. This podcast is the recording of an event that we had on February 23rd, 2021. It is an in-conversation event featuring Bruce Pollack Johnson, one of the writers of the 8th Principle that is being proposed and discussed in the Unitarian Universalist Association. invite you to stick around and to listen through this podcast to learn a little bit more about the eighth principle and about confronting white supremacy. Okay, so welcome everybody. My name is Ember Kelly and I'm the director of religious education here at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. I'm really excited to have you join us tonight for our in conversation event with Bruce Pollack Johnson. Uh, we will introduce him here in just a second. Uh, we are going to have for you in the chat a few things. Uh, we have the wording of the eighth principle, which we'll be discussing heavily tonight. We also have a podcast that Bruce and I recorded earlier in the month, as well as a video that the Reverend Skylar Vogel, our senior minister, and I uh, uploaded just this last weekend, talking about the eighth principle. So just a, a little bit of extra content if you're interested in engaging with it after. Uh, the presentation tonight um, and i am excited to be with you on functional internet because i actually uh, ran into a little technical issues as i was getting this prepared the internet was out uh, in my part of new jersey for a good part uh, of the day and i was a little bit worried that i was going to be doing this all from a phone but luckily it restored itself at 6 53 with just enough time <laughs> to get it reset up again so whether you are joining us in the room or in the future Uh, on YouTube and our recordings or on Facebook and our recording, Uh, you know, we're just really excited to have you here and uh, really excited for the discussion as for, in terms of format, uh, obviously we have this introduction moment. We're going to dive into a few questions that Bruce and I have uh, prepared to guide our conversation. Uh, And then we're going to allow for ample time for uh, asking some questions Uh, at this point, we're planning that we'll probably have the questions be asked in the chat just to make sure that we're making the most use of our time. Uh, And so, uh, if you have a question, you know, feel free to leave it in the chat and we'll get to it if we think that it might be something that we can uh, get to in the midst of our conversation, but if not we'll, we'll work on getting to it at the end. Uh, and we also do plan that as we transition to that, that public question time, that uh, we will stop our recording of the, the dialogue that, that will go up on Facebook and YouTube so that way you don't feel worried that uh, anything that you type might be ending up forever in the collection of the internet for all eternity. I know how those uh, worries can be. Uh, so Bruce, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You're welcome. So Bruce, uh, I suppose first, would you like to introduce yourself for our guests who maybe haven't gotten a chance to listen to the podcast yet? Sure. Uh, my name
1: is Bruce Pollock Johnson. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm a cisgendered, white, able-bodied heterosexual male. I go to the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Restoration in Philadelphia, Uh, although that name could change in four days. (laughs) We're actually taking a vote. Um, But anyway, we'll probably still call ourselves Restoration for a while since a lot of people know us that way. The, uh, in terms of I'm uh, the assistant moderator of our congregation, I'm also a professor of math and statistics at Villanova, and I'm chair of our justice council.
0: And if you guys want to hear more about math activism, which is just an absolutely fascinating topic in my mind, we actually did cover that a little bit in the podcast. It was not, It's not one of our set questions tonight, so maybe we'll have some time for it at the end, but it's a, a very fascinating a bit of work that Bruce has been involved in that I enjoyed getting to hear about. So Bruce, our our theme this month for education is about confronting white supremacy. How do we do better as as religious organizations to organize against white supremacy, to not just say, okay, well, we're not racist, but to be actively uh, anti-racist. In that vein, you've been doing work around a way that you use can begin to like confront some of this complicity in white supremacy. Uh, the eighth principle. Could you tell us a little bit about what exactly the eighth principle is?
1: Sure. And I think this is also in the chat, but I'll have a uh, visual aid that we can work with here. Let me move the. Can you? That's better. So the, uh, the eighth principle, uh, which I, I co-wrote with Paula Cole Jones back in 2013, starts just like all the other principles. So it says, we covenant and affirm to promote. And then the new part says, journeying towards spiritual wholeness by building a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions." in ourselves, and our institutions. Uh, and just to show you the more fancy graphics version, this is what's on the, uh, the website for the eighth principle, which is not maintained very well since it's just a volunteer operation, grassroots operation, but this does look pretty nice. So I want you to see that this would be, if it got adopted by the whole UUA, then it would be like the other principles, we the member congregations of the UUA covenant. Etc. So the, uh, the idea is that the eighth principle is a commitment to hold ourselves accountable to doing the work of undoing systemic racism and other oppressions, not only within ourselves, but in, in our institutions, our congregations, our wider community, our denomination, if you want to call it denomination, uh, or, and beyond that. It has been proposed. I I don't know how much people know of the history. In the General Assembly of the Unitarian Universalist Association in 2017, it was officially entered as a responsive resolution. You might remember that was the year that the president resigned. There was a lot of things going on. And so that seemed like a good time to to introduce it. Uh, That passed overwhelmingly as a responsive resolution, not as a principle. And that meant that uh, the UUA needed to uh, form what's called an Article II Commission to look at all of the principles and purposes, including the wording of the 8th Principle. Uh, That should have happened in 2017. Uh, We can get into it more later if you're interested, but the fact is it's that Commission was just formed last summer. It's allowed to have a couple of years to come up with proposals, suggestions for any changes to the principles and purposes. Then after that proposal, there would be the possibility of making amendments as usual at General Assembly, then uh, a first vote. Uh, And then if that first vote passes, a second vote at the next General Assembly. And if that also passes, then it would become official as whatever the proposal was but potentially adding the eighth principle to the other seven principles for example
0: so we do we do have the normal you know the the, the church bureaucracy uh, it, is, <laughs> yes. it is it is a reality that there's lots of voting and committees uh, that will have to happen to, to make it happen uh, in terms of being an official uh, principle but congregations have begun to independently adopt it as well
1: There's, uh, I just counted, we found another half dozen recently, there's about uh, 40 congregations that some had already passed like a year or two ago that we didn't even know about. So that's certainly a lower bound, as we would say in uh, mathematics, on what uh, the current number, and we know of at least 30 who are planning to vote uh, on whether to adopt it or not in the coming uh, church year, meaning by June of this year so we could be getting pretty close to 100 uh, by the summer.
0: it right, seems a steady steady pace there. Uh, and always good to you know discover discover some surprises. Um, so you know you talked a little bit about the timing of what everything that happened at the general assembly in 2017 in, in terms of overall like why why now for the eighth principle like why does this seem a good time to add something more to the to the to the principles.
1: Well, literally now, or at least this year, I think it's quite obvious that uh, our country has been having an awakening uh, with regard to systemic racism since the murder of George Floyd, Um, and obviously there were many things before that 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 led up to it, but there was certainly a a peaking of consciousness uh, throughout the country uh, uh, that certainly makes it extremely timely as a way, something that has existed, but that's a direct response to those concerns because it's the systemic side of things that that we feel needs um, added focus and commitment that that, um, hasn't really happened up to this point. The other piece that I think of is that um, President Biden and a number of other candidates were talking about systemic racism as part of the campaign that happened a little bit in 2016, but it was clearly more, much more strong this time. And even after getting elected, fortunately, he's still talking about it. And uh, so that there is that thread of continuity that there's actually support from the top for this kind of, of action and movement that uh, we want to take advantage of.
0: I suppose you know, um, uh, one of the common things that, that I've heard in, in discussion is, you know, why, why a new principle? Don't, don't all of our, the other principles mean the same thing in summary? Uh, so you know, why, why specifically like, propose an eighth principle versus just maybe adding some wording to the seventh? Or, something, or to the it's other a, It's
1: a good question. And I think a lot of people would agree that in some ways, the nature of the eighth principle is implied by the other principles. But that doesn't mean that all you use have thought that through and realize that that is a natural implication. Uh, one of the things that um, so the person who, who co-wrote it with me is her name is Paula Cole Jones. She's been uh, active with the journey toward wholeness and anti-racism programs and other social justice programs in the UUA uh, at various levels for a long time as a consultant and, and uh, regional leader as well. She, in her consulting, she had noticed a couple different kinds of congregations, uh, one of which she called a seven principles culture and the other a beloved community culture. And the problem was that in the in the seven principles culture, somebody could feel that they were living by the seven principles, but just be totally oblivious to systemic issues of racism and other kinds of oppression. Um, Obviously, our system makes it very easy for people in the dominant group to be oblivious to those uh, systemic factors. And um, so we we both felt that it was something more was needed than the existing principles to kind of hit people over the head (laughs) with it, to realize that this is something that certainly is implied that is consistent with our values and our principles, but needs to to be explicitly stated so that we can all get to the same level uh, of awareness. And one way, uh, some people may not know, but the original principles were quite different from what we think of as the seven principles. One of the reasons for that change in the 80s was partly a consciousness related to gender and, and feminism, but also environmentalism and those two levels of awareness that had been raised at that point in our history, it was kind of a no-brainer that they needed to be added to the principles as well. And so we feel we're kind of in that same moment when it comes to systemic racism and other kinds of oppressions that uh, it's reflecting uh, an understanding, you know, most News broadcasts and magazines these days are, are uh, writing articles about all this. There's plenty of chances to um, to learn more, but it feels time to acknowledge that as part of who we are and who we want to be.
0: Well, as you mentioned there a little bit, you know this this is a process. I've learned both in conversation with you as well as some other UU leaders that like this is um, you know part of part of the history of the UU. Like uh, as somebody. You know, new to the UU, I think I thought like all oh, these seven principles. It's probably something they like agreed upon way back, way back when. Um, but the when I when I had some conversation about it, like the first, uh, I think it was six principles originally, and they were also not only had very gendered language, but they also had like very overtly Christian language, which doesn't really reflect the UU in in the modern day quite as much as well either. Um, so I mean, this is something that's happened before that there's been development with these principles They're, they give us a chance to evolve.
1: And to, right to me, that's one of the, the brilliant aspects of UUism is that it's a, a dynamic. We can change it as we want. There's not a, a Pope or a leadership group that um, needs to be making this kind of decision for us. We, uh, from the ground up in this, this movement for the Eighth Principle has been totally two volunteer people working on this for seven, eight years. And now on our monthly Zoom calls, we have often two or three hundred people, sometimes more than that, uh, interested in working on it, and just it it grows on its own
0: on its own momentum. So, you know, so you said you know on the it allows us to be like on this cutting edge uh, as as a denomination. So you know, many people, as somebody who grew up evangelical, I definitely thought that you know the UUs were those you know, kind of out there social justice folks. So, you know, since you already has like this reputation for, for being social justice, you know, why, why do you think it's important, especially for you to acknowledge like the, our past and our current with dealing with white supremacy, as well as to be more proactive, as specifically as you use? Like, why do you think that's important?
1: I, I think we can rest on our laurels. The that the the challenge is to be that cutting edge group that's on the front lines of of social change um, and to to be leaders in the country and the world for those kinds of levels of awareness and, and things that need to be changed. And the and the the grassroots aspect and democratic some people would say aspect is is part of what makes it possible that we as we become aware, we can make those changes pretty nimbly as, as some people would say, um, we don't have as much um, in the way of being able to do that as some other religions.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, part of the the phrasing of, of this month's educational theme was about like kind of organizing in our confronting the white supremacy. So, I'm, you know, as you're saying, this has been a grassroots effort. That's not like that someone like called you guys and was like, hey, we really need to like get this this passed. We need you to propose it or something. This has been a grassroots organization effort. Do you wanna tell us a little bit about like being on the inside of the, the grassroots organization work that's behind all of this?
1: The, um, well, it, it started, uh, I, I don't know, some people may know about uh, Jubilee uh, training work, anti-racism training workshops, which go from a Friday night to a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we were working with a group as we got the idea about, about doing this and, and used that, uh, they decided to meet monthly after the Jubilee to continue supporting each other and and looking into, uh, what could be done in their own congregations. Uh, and they helped us to, you know, refine the wording. Um, and it, uh, basically, it wasn't really until it was just kind of in the background, people sharing about it with each other kind of informally for a number of years. Uh, but then it was when the, uh, the crisis happened in in the UUA in 2017 when the president had to resign related to systemic issues of racism and hiring that, um, that it seemed like the time for it to kind of break, break loose and, and, uh, had a lot of support at the General Assembly, and uh, it's just kind of fanned out since then.
0: So we discussed a little bit in the podcast um, that your your congregation, currently restoration, put possibly <laughs> new name soon, uh, were, were the first to to formally say, you know, we we adopt this as as one of our principles. You're the first uh, congregation. What was what was that work like? Uh, trying to like get the congregation on board with, with thinking about this as like a principle versus just kind of like something that we're about.
1: Right, so the um, since we wrote it in 2013, I figured, well, we'll see how it flies with a bigger group of people. So, um, so our uh, justice council talked about it, talked about it with the board, and then we brought it to the congregation to see see what they thought. And we had two pieces. We were thinking of either adopting it for ourselves and possibly endorsing that other congregations also adopted. Uh, and in the conversation, there were a couple of things happened. One was the question of um, why, why is racism highlighted as opposed to patriarchy or uh, economics since race came out of economic concerns? Uh, And so even though everybody was supportive of the concept, uh, we weren't necessarily ready to uh, to act on it as a principle for ourselves uh, or even for for the denomination at that point. But our church had a very strong history uh, during the 60s. Our minister gave a sermon that um, basically activated uh, people in our neighborhood when Real, realtors were trying to blockbust, meaning scare white families to move to the suburbs as families of color were moving into the neighborhood and, and inspired people to form a um, Mount Airy Neighbors organization, a community organization with people saying, we want to stay here, we want to be a diverse, integrated community, and we're going to work to make sure that that happens. And and it did, in fact, and and Mount Airy has been a stable uh, integrated community um, ever since that point. So it was very much in our heritage as a congregation to be involved in that work. Uh, But it was so new, people just weren't quite ready to elevate it to the level of a principle yet. Uh, But they did say, well, let's just put it into our church covenant, uh, because we already had a covenant. And a uh, number of people worked, and basically, the, all of the language of the Eighth Principle was layered into the Covenant, just at appropriate points. So it didn't all come together in one cluster. It was um, spread out over the the full um, length of, of the Covenant, and and that was a great solution to me. It showed the commitment that people were feeling, uh, and and worked very well. That passed. Uh, Overwhelmingly. Then in 2000, and at that time, in 2014, we started um, after Ferguson, we started monthly, uh, excuse me, weekly vigils uh, that have continued, continue to this day, um, where we have both an outside component with people holding signs on the street. And uh, a second part where we light candles and share things related to racial justice issues um, happening at, at the moment, uh, including Black history, information that people might not know, and reading readings from from uh, writers of color, sharing music, things like that. So over the years, we built a cadre of people who were very committed to the issue and um, when the, the crisis in the UUA occurred, it felt like the time to say, okay, well, let's just make this, adopt this as a principle for ourselves. Uh, and there was no no doubt about it. It, it was overwhelming again, uh, but this time as a principle. And now we print it in, when we Used to print orders of service, <laughs> we would uh, print the eight, eight principles and just have a little asterisk saying that we have adopted this individually, and it's in process at the UUA, the wider level.
0: I mean, so you touched on there. You know, you had like this this small group of, of dedicated folks uh, working against it, uh, or working working against it, working for getting things uh, going. Um, and so as someone who's 32 years young, um, at some points in my life, you know, as someone who's been doing activism for like 10 years of my life, you know, at some points I feel like I'm the, the, the grizzled elder, <laughs> but I, I can acknowledge that I am still young. Um, but, you know, I, we, we run into a lot of challenges and, and especially in confronting racism and white supremacy in the U.S., uh, what are some of the challenges that you've run into uh, in trying to confront white supremacy more proactively? Uh, the, so
1: the, the biggest challenge I think is that the nature of white supremacy or any other kind of dominant group is that all the forces in society are working towards you not being aware of those things. That's how they are able to sustain themselves. And so white you use, for example, um, have a choice whether they want to act or not. And at any point they can retreat from that and, and uh, get the benefits of the system as it is. So I think that kind of inertia and the forces being so strongly in that direction is certainly the biggest challenge. Uh, and, and it's really sharing with people realizing that it's that lack of action that keeps the system in place and is in fact making it worse. It's not just maintaining the status quo. It's actually strengthening uh, those those um, forces in our society. And therefore, the only way to actually make things better is is to be able to work work on them. And I think the um, you earlier had we, we mentioned about the fact that race is highlighted and not other oppressions, which does not mean that all those oppressions are not important. But as uh, a faith tradition, uh, the Unitarians and the Universalists merged in the early 60s, there have really been only two crises uh, as a denomination that have occurred. One was around 1970, and the other I mentioned already in 2017. Both of those had to do with race. In the earlier time, it was sometimes referred to as the Black Empowerment Crisis. When there were kind of two sides of um, how how radical to be when empowering Black folk to um, to do things in their own communities and and um, to give money to community groups that were led by by Black and and brown and other people of color, but especially Black um, and. It didn't end up happening. We, didn't, we made some commitments that we didn't follow through on. And there had been, in the civil rights period, a lot of people of color who had joined UU congregations. But at the time of that crisis, a lot of them ended up leaving. Uh, understandably, that the, the promise was not fulfilled. Uh, and similarly, in, in 2017, there had been a, a lot of good work in the 90s especially the later 90s, resolutions were passed, excellent anti-racism work was happening, but then it kind of petered out. The focus went, went elsewhere and the commitment lagged. Um, so in 2017, the, the end result was this, this crisis that related to systemic uh, issues related to hiring and people of color and uh, giving preference to, to white candidates. So really, the two major crises we've had relate to race. And we thought that you could say the same thing about the United States. Some people from other religions would say that race is the original sin of the United States. And since we don't believe in sin, we, we don't say that. But um, I think a lot of people feel that, understand that idea. And, and it was baked in from the beginning of the Constitution and uh, a number of the colonies, and um, so it's it's a fundamental. Since UUism was largely formed at that same time, it's very much baked into who we are, and something that we need to examine and and correct.
0: I think that makes uh, that, that well said. Um, I suppose you know, as as uh, as someone who's been doing this work for a while. Uh, I'm curious if you have maybe pointers for like I know a lot of folks deal with burnout, like that they they get into this work and they, you know, uh, they log on and they see like here's 100 things you can do to not be so racist, uh, or you know maybe it becomes a checklist, maybe it uh, you know it feels like a, a chore. How do we how do we handle that, like that that burnout that comes with trying to organize against something that's so strongly embedded in a lot of our institutions?
1: Well, I think part of the significance of the Eighth Principle is that it's not only activism, but it's got a spiritual component. It's talking about spiritual wholeness. Essentially, systems like racism divide us within ourselves as well as in society. I mean, people who had, uh, for instance, parents who were racist were deprived of relationships and friendships and, and possibly more that they might have been able to enjoy if that racism had not been there. So it's not, there is a certain side of being in the dominant, on the dominant side of racism, but there's a cost to it, a personal cost uh, and that eats away at our souls. And that the, in order to be doing this work in the most complete way, we wanna be thinking about that spiritual side which I think also, because I think burnout in some ways is doing something without balance and getting too lost in in one aspect of important work. And certainly uh, the activism is important, but looking at the spiritual side as well, which is one reason that I think this kind of work being done in a faith community makes sense and and is more possible than elsewhere, where the there isn't that kind of grounding uh, and nurturing of who we are to to help
0: support it. Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, I suppose part of that's reflected in in like the wording choice of you know about beloved community that this is work that not only uh, needs to happen, but that it's work that's done in our communities. That it's not something that you know we can. Yeah, yes, we can all work on it individually, but like this is something that as communities that we we have to work to do. Right. And um, just to,
1: uh, I don't know how this fits in exactly, but I'll put it out there uh, since there hasn't been an obvious place to put it so far, that um, there have been uh, a a number of people, uh, people of color that I've spoken with and heard from that had joined uh, UU congregations because of the promise of the principles and the the values that we share are, are very exciting to them. But uh, especially in congregations that are, are predominantly white, they faced microaggressions, attitudes, things happened that were extremely difficult for them personally. And you know, some people couldn't take that and just moved on. But if we want to really fulfill the promise of our movement and our values, we need to do something about that to make sure that we're actually living the values that we're talking about. And that's what the Eighth Principle is all about, really, is making that commitment to do what we can to uncover those things and do something about it and, and really be a nurturing place for everyone, not just in the head as a good idea, but as a place that, that feels at home for anybody. Uh, you were asking about digging deeper.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, uh, like, and I think that it relates to like the accountability aspect as well. Like how, you know, how do we, um, how do we move a little bit deeper than like, okay, I, I know I'm racist. Like, what, what do I do next? You know, which is why accountability is in there. Um, right, how exactly. Do we, how, do we, how do we go deeper with all of this? So
1: uh, one of the things that uh, just came out as, uh, we talked about it in the podcast, I think. Uh, there, After the president resigned, there was a commission on institutional change convened to try to understand how we got to that point and what had happened and make recommendations about what we could do about it. Uh, that went on for three years. They interviewed thousands of uh, UUs of color and, and white, uh, white UUs as well, trying to understand what had happened and putting together the there's that book. Thank you, Joanna. But there's also a, a report that they came out with. There's a book called Widening the Circle of Concern that uh, is kind of a compilation of, of all the work that they did and the conclusions that they came to, broken up into a number of different chapters about theology and governance and community and restoration and reparations and all kinds of different topics that relate to uh, dismantling racism and other kinds of oppressions. Um, And so a very good thing to do as a congregation is just go through some of those chapters, get a group that's interested to help examine what are some of the systems within our congregation that might not be as inclusive as we think we're being, and what might we be able to do to change them, whether it's formal processes or informal processes because sometimes there's certain procedures on the books but that's not the way things really happen and that can be a way that kind of maintains the status quo in a hidden, hidden way that can be difficult for other people to navigate. We've just started doing that at Restoration uh, and it's been fascinating conversation, lots, lots of good ideas.
0: Well, I suppose to some of it would depend on what the what happens when the if the UA as a whole were to adopt uh, like but I know that with like uh, with the uh, affirming uh, with uh, for LGBT issues uh, I was really surprised to to find out that you know like there's things that have to be fulfilled to like stay on that list whereas most of the denominations that I've been in it's like oh you take a vote once and like you're pretty much on that list for forever so like you know, it, it seems that the UU does have like a track record of, of building these accountability tools for like making sure that congregations actually are doing this work if they're saying they're doing this work.
1: Exactly, and that's a great model. The welcoming congregation, uh, I don't really understand why, because it seems obvious and, and I've thought about it a lot why we don't have a similar kind of curriculum or program related to race. Uh, that certainly is, uh, well, I, I can't say what's happening at the UUA. I think it was mentioned in the Widening, widening the Circle report. Uh, and so I'm hoping that some people will jump on that and and uh, come up with a similar way to help raise people's consciousness with a lot of different uh, educational workshops that um, can help do the same same kind of process that, that we do for welcoming. And, and frankly, uh, our, since our church... Uh, adopted the eighth principle almost four years ago now. Um, We just did a trans inclusion workshop over the summer, and we thought of that very much as an eighth principle activity. So uh, even though a lot of the work is related to race, it really, you know, it does mean, and other oppressions, it's just that it would be for the principles too long to list them all in that one space so we we made the decision to include the most salient but acknowledging that
0: there's lots of others there that need to be understood definitely and you, you mentioned uh obviously like the welcoming congregation name there so you use you know we say we're, we're welcome of all like you're, you know you're welcome here um how does doing this work around like being the beloved community being living out the eighth principle how does that make us more truly welcome in, in your mind? Well,
1: part of the idea is the eighth principle is really a lens for looking at what you do. It's, uh, you can do, you know, all the things that you've been used to doing, but when you say, well, how does the eighth principle relate to what we're doing here? How, does, does this square with what we say we've committed to in the eighth principle or not? Um, and so, It it really is uh, an attitude to how we do things, what we do, always um, taking that into consideration. Uh, And just, for example, things like uh, music and readings and things like that, we tend to, uh, I'm sure everybody has their favorite hymns and songs and special music and things, and and it's it's wonderful when, when we hear some of those things, but if you come from a different background, different culture, if you never hear the kinds of things that give you that kind of satisfaction, you're probably not going to stick around. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, it's it's nice to hear those familiar things. It's also nice to be exposed to other things that give us insight into other cultures and, and histories. Uh, and opening up that space can make a big difference in whether someone decides to stick around or not. Whether voices of color or voice other kinds of voices of marginalized uh, people from marginalized groups um, are heard can make a big difference in whether this feels like a place that I belong. The other thing for me, and probably some of you have run across this concept is uh, the idea of welcoming versus radical hospitality The main concept being that welcoming isn't just come on and join my club where I've already made up the rules and and decided how things are going to be, but come join, uh, join with us and at the same time change us because when someone else comes in, they have something new to give that will change who we are. So it's not just assimilation into an existing reality. It's changing that reality to um, uh, acknowledge the skills and talents that that are brought in, the background, experience, and uh, to all be more complete because of that.
0: So as we transition out of our recorded segment uh, and into open questions, so prepare those questions if you have them, folks. how I'll can folks the get chat box and I. Okay, Colin Colin will be our collector of the questions and the share with of them with us. Uh, so Bruce, before we turn off the recording recorded segment, w- what ways can people get plugged into this work? Like I know that there's regular Zoom calls. I know that obviously there's a website that you're showing us. Like what, what ways can people get plugged in and learn more?
1: Uh, so certainly for the eighth principle, there's uh, there's actually a closed Facebook group that one could join for more ongoing uh, updates and and uh, timely things that may come up, the Zoom, uh, and I probably the simplest way would be for people to get in touch with you, and Paula is actually the one who administers that, but uh, all you need to do is give your name and congregation and, and email uh, to get put on that list. The main thing is just to make sure that someone confirms they really want to do it, don't just give names of people who might want to do it, but wait, and uh, get confirmation of that from folks. Um, the In terms of other things that could be done, that's directly for the 8th Principle. But um, seeing if you can arrange for a Jubilee 3, they call it Jubilee 3 now for the most recent iteration, uh, whether it could be held in your area. But these days, there are also Zoom versions happening that people could plug into. Um, as a possibility. There's a program called Beloved Conversations that's intended to be a small group ministry program speaking about race and dialoguing about race in in a deep kind of way that has been very effective for a lot of congregations. Uh, There's an older uh, curriculum that I believe still exists called Building the World We Dream About that uh, just has a lot of things related to racial justice and history, and including um, looking at one's own congregation and patterns, power patterns, within one's own congregation. Uh, so I think those are probably some ways that, as a group, uh, you would be able to do. And individually, people can join in with the, the Zoom calls. And, and lots of resources come up and those that you could plug into.
0: I was definitely jotting a few of those down as you were saying them. So um, I will uh, make sure to maybe uh, put some names in, in descriptions. So for anybody who's joining in the future by uh, watching the recording, thank you for joining us. The recording is ending here and we're going to open for our questions.